0: The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. And now friends, it's time to open our Bibles together. Uh, if you need one, grab one in the pew in front of you to Genesis chapter 29. As we see both the Word of God declared in the sacrament uh, visibly, now we turn to the Word of God and scripturated as He has revealed it to us in the Bible. Uh, Genesis 29, as uh, we come now to this Chapter We are continuing the family story of the third generation of the patriarchs, the original family of God in the pages of the Old Testament. And as you're going there to Genesis 29, we're following particularly that third generation patriarch, Jacob, who is a man who is often given over to much scheming and deceit, much given over to controversy. And we're going to follow him this morning as he gets himself into quite a bit of. A mess. Uh, One of the things that I think anybody that ever cracks open a Bible needs to be dissuaded of is the notion that the Bible is full of just a bunch of superheroes that never do anything wrong. There's only one hero in the Bible it's Jesus. And everybody else needs to be redeemed by him. And so, even the family, the original family of the patriarchs, is a family that is filled uh, with mess. Uh, the family of God is often a mess, because it's a family of sinners, redeemed to be sure, but sinners nevertheless in need of much grace and help. And as we approach this uh, chapter this morning, uh, we're getting into some of the messiest stuff of the mess in this messy family. And the question that we need to ask is not just, boy, how do these people get themselves in such a mess, but rather... What is true of us as the people of God because of what the Bible reveals to us here about this family? And what is true about God Himself as He is working through His people to accomplish His purposes even in the midst of messy situations? So, we want to see that together this morning. So if you've got your Bible open in Genesis 29, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon the scriptures great god we turn to you now as we have all morning worshiping you but praying specifically now that as we open up the scriptures that you would reveal and open them to us that we might learn that we might see your wisdom that we might see even jesus christ revealed to us in the pages of the scriptures and come to rest upon him as our savior and lord so lord Speak Your Word to Your people this morning and call us to You, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And now hear the Word of God. Genesis 29. We'll be reading the first 30 verses under the heading Jacob, Mary, Leah, and Rachel. This is the Word of God. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And as he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. And he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. When he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, And the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob, came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house, Jacob Told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, "Surely you are bone, uh, my bone in my flesh." And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, "Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me what shall your wages be?" Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, "I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter Rachel." Laban said, "'It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me.' So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, "'Give me my wife, that I may go into her, for my time is completed.' So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. But in the evening he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and he went into her.' Laban gave his female servant Zilpah to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this that you have done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give you the other also in return for serving me another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave him his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel to be her servant. So Jacob went into Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah and served Laban for another seven years. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the Word of God abides forever. Do keep your Bible open there in Genesis 29. And let me say, quite frankly, passages like this are why I often say that the Bible is really a wonder. Uh, The Bible is really a wonderful thing. Who would ever come up with this? Who would ever tell this story? Who would ever write it down to go into historical record in this way? What in the world does it mean? Why is it in the Bible in the first place? And if you were following along even in the narrative, you were realizing that you've got lots of different characters that are related to different people, and there's two wives and one man, and there's all sorts of strange relationships that are happening. But let me tell you, because I know that our culture consumes uh, media and television and streaming episodes in quick succession, you can keep up with this story. Don't be overwhelmed by all the names. Don't be overwhelmed by the drama. You can keep up. Just pay attention to what's happening and what's going on here, but be on the lookout for something. What I thing you should be on the lookout for is, what, what is the point of all of this? It's not just drama for drama's sake, though some people are inclined to drama for drama's sake, but that's not what this is about. Chapter 29 of Genesis is saying that God has a purpose for His people in the midst of the messes that they find themselves in. And His people oftentimes find themselves in drastic messes. So what I want to do is I want to consider this passage with you from two perspectives. The first one is just going to be a horizontal perspective. Just on the ground, amidst the various characters of what's happening here, asking what in the world is happening amidst these various characters and the drama and the mess. A horizontal perspective. And then to say, and say vertically, what in the world, Lord, is this all about and why? So a horizontal perspective and then a vertical one. So first, the horizontal that we can see on the ground, and as it were, here's Jacob. Jacob, who is known to be a deceiver, is going to meet his match in his uncle Laban. The first scene with the shepherds and the flocks in a stone-covered well, Jacob happens upon these men sitting around waiting for some more shepherds to come and help him roll back a stone so they can water the flocks. And in, in the meantime, he's speaking to them that he's, he's made it to his intended destination. He was on his way to find Laban. These people know Laban, and Jacob celebrates the fact that he's made it on his journey to where he was intended to go. And the reason why Jacob was on this journey in the first place, perhaps you remember, is because he had deceived his older but twin brother Esau out of both a birthright and a blessing and his brother wanted to kill him and so he's fleeing the bloodthirst of Esau on his way to find a wife. He was sent to go find a wife among Laban's own household. And all the way back, we have been seeing that God has said that I have a purpose for my people and I'm giving promises to my people even in the midst of their messes. Because chapter 28 was all about God's promise and assurance to Jacob. Jacob, wherever you go, I'm going to be with you. Remember he had that dream, Jacob's ladder, and the whole event was God communicating to him the assurance of the covenant. Jacob, no matter where you go, no matter how far you stray, I will always be with you and bring you back home. Jacob is going with that promise in mind. But now in chapter 29, he's coming to his intended destination and Jacob's eye catches the sight of Rachel. And in the midst of all the details here, the point that we are intended to see in really this first part about what happens here is that where the shepherds had been gathered together at the well amidst of this big stone, they're just hanging out. And Jacob's like, what's the matter with you guys? And they said, well, we can't move this stone. Nobody can move the stone, and even a small team of them can't do it. They've got to wait for more shepherds until Rachel comes, and then Jacob musters up the strength in all of his desire to show forth How much of a man he is to Rachel. He moves the cap himself. The sight of Rachel so moves Jacob that he musters up the strength. All along, introductions are made. And Jacob, weeping in verse 11, is the glad cries that he has found the purpose of his journey. Namely, that he intends to set his affection upon Rachel and have her to be his wife. But Jacob has a lot to learn here. But this first scene is intended to display that for all of Jacob's innate capacities, right? for all of his physical strength, look at what Jacob can do for himself. The stone that this group of shepherds couldn't move collectively, Jacob can move by himself, which is intended to say, check this guy out. Look at what he can do. Look how sufficient he is within himself and his own capacities to handle his business. But for all of his impressive possession of strength, we're going to see that Jacob has a stunning lack of wisdom. And that for all that Jacob possesses externally, there's still a lot within Jacob that needs to be done. There's still much for him to learn. This passage is all about Jacob's development in that way, even as he finds himself in the mess. So let's dive into the details of the mess. Rachel runs to her father and lets her know about Jacob. Read there in verse 12 that Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son, and then she runs and tells her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, her sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are bone, my bone and my flesh, and he stayed with him a month. Now it's interesting, that detail there, that it says that Jacob told Laban all the things. You have to wonder, how much detail did Jacob go into when he says to his uncle, here's what I've been through. You have to wonder, did he tell Laban what he did to deceive his father Isaac several chapters ago when he effectively effectively stole the blessing from his father which was intended to go to Esau? Did Jacob revealed to Laban all the ways that he has throughout his life been a deceiver, conniving with his mother, which is Laban's sister, Rebekah. That's why there's all these different uh, mothers, brother, etc., different language here. Uh, My point in all of this is that I think Laban recognizes one of his own. Because Jacob has schemed and deceived his way through life so far, but as I said, he's going to meet his match in Laban, and Laban recognizes Another deceiver when he sees it. It seems to run in this family. Laban's sister Rebecca is Jacob's mother. What we see here is that Laban has a plan. It's not immediately apparent on the surface, but we can read the intention throughout the text that he sees Jacob, who's come to find a wife, and Laban already has this plan in place that he's going to get seven years' good labor out of Jacob. This man who's strong enough to move one well cap that a bunch of other shepherds can't move collectively, I'm going to get some labor out of this man. And Jacob's willing to do it all because he wants to marry Rachel. He's going to serve Laban for the bride price. It would have been customary in this culture to, to, to pay an amount of a bride price to say, I want to have this woman as my wife, but I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't give it to you by way of money. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to serve for it seven years in your household. And Laban says, sure. Verse 19, you can do it. Notice this detail in verse 19. For who? Her. Her. See, Jacob has a plan, but Laban has another plan. And you see the description there in verse 16 and 17 that we find out that Laban has another daughter. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. It's kind of a euphemism, this description. Her eyes were weak, such to say that she wasn't as much to look at as Rachel was. There's a comparison here. Jacob's got his eye fixed on Rachel. But Laban has a plan. But Jacob works for Laban all the while assuming Laban's good faith. But Jacob was a man who, though he had deceived his way through life so far, is going to get a taste of his own medicine. Now, now, listen, I understand it's tempting to get, a, to get into the details and all these weeds here, but don't miss the big picture about what's happening here. After seven years labor for Rachel, Laban deceives Jacob and gives Leah to him rather than Rachel. And you might say, wait a second. I got a lot of questions about that. Now, listen, I understand you might, but... It would have been customary for the brides to be heavily veiled. In an ancient Near Eastern culture before electricity, it's dark at night. And in addition, it would have been likely after a celebration with very strong drinking. There's also the fact of the matter that Leah seems to consent to this whole plan, pretending to be her younger sister. But the point is that deceit is building on top of deceit. Jacob thinks that Rachel's going to be his wife, and Laban gives his first daughter, and Leah's in on it the whole time. And my goodness, you say... What is wrong with these people? What is wrong with these people? And of course, Jacob is outraged by all of it, of course, even though earlier he had participated in another form of deception. And Laban simply says, Hey bud, that's just the way it is here. It's customary. And you should have known. After all, Laban said, You can take her. And you meant Rachel, but I meant Leah. I didn't lie to you, but I did cheat you. Laban comes across as more heartless, more scheming, more deceptive more deceptive even than Jacob. And Jacob is faced with the reality of all of it, then having to serve another seven years to pay another bride price for his true love, Rachel. So on this horizontal perspective in the midst of this cast of characters with all of this mess, Jacob now has two wives, one that he loves more than the other, diving deeper into family conflict and strife in the family of the people of God. And this is when, again, I say, isn't the Bible great? Isn't the Bible compelling, fascinating, interesting? Why in the world is all of this here? You couldn't make this up if you tried. And again, what's the point? Well, let's get to that. What is the point? Where is God in the midst of this mess? That's really the question. Actually, if you scan back through, you notice that God's name isn't even in the text, nobody's even mentioning the Lord. Nobody's even mentioning the God of the covenant. He's nowhere in this text on the surface, anyway. So, what is he doing here in the life of Jacob? Well, we can safely assume that when Jacob was showing off his strength and moving the rock, then what was most of all in his mind wasn't his need, but his own ability, right? Look what I can do. Look what I can do for myself. But then to wake up to the deception, wake up to the deception the next morning, bury his hands in his face and say, what has happened to me? What has happened to me? Isn't it interesting that it is easy to credit ourselves when things are going well and we say, look what I can do. And when things are going wrong, our first inclination is, what has happened to me? I am a victim fundamentally. It's a strange thing in us as humans. But God is at work in this mess. God is at work in the midst of all of this. Jacob, schemer though he is, deceiver though he is, God is not through with Jacob. Jacob is not going to escape the consequences of his own deceit and God is at work to bring discipline and change and correction to Jacob. Jacob, who is so reliant on himself as evidenced by his ability to move this big rock, now is the subject of a great deceit. What is he learning? He's learning one of the most basic truths that the Bible says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, to trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. Jacob, lean not on your own ways just because you think that you're sufficient in yourself to move some big rock and you got it made within yourself and you know all wisdom. Jacob, you need to learn to trust in the Lord. Is Jacob trusting the Lord as he goes forth in foolishness? The answer is no. So what is this lesson here? The lesson is is that Jacob is easily deceived, but God's purposes are not easily diverted. That the same thing can be true at the same time. That God's people can find themselves in a mess very much as a result of their own actions and God can be working out His sovereign purposes at the same time. That they can find themselves in circumstances that are a result of their own actions, and God in His sovereign purposes is working out His plans. That's the lesson here, that God knows what He's doing even when His people are walking into deeper and deeper messes. The life that Jacob has lived by deceit is the life that God is going to redeem And we know even immediately here that this story is going to be about Jacob and... The twelve sons that he's going to have by way of these different women. And that even despised Leah, the wife that Jacob didn't even want, is going to be the mother of the tribe of kings, the tribe of Judah, and the priestly life of Levi. And that makes her ultimately, Leah is the mother of Moses and David, and ultimately in the lineage of Jesus Christ Himself. You see, God knows what He's doing in the midst of the mess and human scheming. God's working out sovereign purposes. That the wife that Jacob didn't even want is the wife of the lineage of the Redeemer, Jesus Christ. God knows what He is doing. See, there is what man intends, and there is God's sovereign purposes. And friends, you and I need to learn that reality, both in the big picture, as we evaluate our own lives and as we evaluate the lives of individual people in the Bible, but the fact of the matter is that we don't need to just learn the lesson in the big picture. We need to learn the lesson... In the midst of things happening. Because isn't it often the case that most of the lessons we learn, we learn at the tail end of things, right? And we look back and go, oh, okay. But when we were in the midst of it, we were ready to press the panic button. To grow in maturity as a Christian believer is to learn not just to see at the end, but to learn in the midst when we find ourselves in messy situations to learn to trust what God is doing. We need to learn this, to learn to trust the Lord in the narrow picture. That though we are content to thank the Lord for the sunshine when all is well, how often do you despise the clouds and the rain? You say, God is for me when everything's going well. But when I have a bad day or a difficult season, or a diagnosis I never wanted, or a family circumstance that I never thought would come to my family, you say to yourself, God's abandoned me. He's with me when it's sunshine, but when it's raining, it's gone. We make the mistake of assuming that God is only for us in the good times and that He's turned His face from us in the hard times. Now listen, it would have been possible for Jacob to come to that conclusion in the midst of this mess, sit, wallow, and say, God is against me. Except that the very purpose of the last chapter was Jacob receiving the covenant promise saying, Jacob, wherever you go and whatever comes to you, I am with you. I don't abandon you. I do not abandon you. And because that is true, this whole episode means that God is for Jacob. God is working out His purposes for Jacob. God is working out His purposes for His people when they find themselves in a mess when they find themselves in hardship and difficulty and suffering, God's purposes are not just ease for you. God's purposes are not just sunshine. Because you need the rain to make things grow, of course, God deals with us sometimes in discipline. God deals with you sometimes in correction. God deals with you sometimes in turning you from the pathway that you've been walking down to protect you. And you might say, But I wanted to go that way. And He says, that's not good for you. God disciplines. He corrects. Never punitively, always loving, but God does discipline His people. The book of Hebrews says, He is a good Father who disciplines His children. Forsake not the Lord's discipline. He disciplines those whom He loves. God is disciplining Jacob. Jacob is having the consequences of deceit in his life come to roost here, and God has a purpose. And we have to learn this lesson. One way we can learn it is to hear it from another Christian author, C.S. Lewis. He said it this way. He said, we often ignore pleasure. We, We like pleasure, and so we don't think about it. But he says, pain insists upon being attended to. He says, God whispers in our pleasures, but He shouts in our pains. He whispers in our pleasures, but He shouts in our pains. It is His megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Because when everything is going well, you're just tempted to think, I can just move this stone myself. But when the bottom falls out and you bury your face in your hands saying, how did I get to this place and how did this happen to me? It's at that moment that you need to learn to trust the Lord. So too does our confession of faith say that sometimes in God's most righteous and gracious purposes, sometimes He brings us to seasons of trial so that we would discover that we need to be humbled So that we would discover that we are ourselves needy. This is, I think, the lesson that we all need in our lives. But let me say, quite frankly, that this is a lesson that some of you might need very practically right now. Do you find yourself in something of a mess? some sort of mess that you didn't intend that's come upon you and you're asking yourself, why, why me, Lord, and how did this happen? Or perhaps are you dealing with the effects of Laban-like deceit at the hands of some other person? If you're a Christian believer, then you can know that by God's sworn word of His covenant as signed and sealed in your baptism, He's not against you. He's for you. And His purposes might be Painful, but they are good. They are good. And we need to learn to trust that. Sometimes His work is painfully corrective, but it is always good. Or if perhaps you're not a Christian believer, or if you're someone who, like Laban whose life is given over to deceit, the Word comes to you that that there is a way for you to be delivered from the mess that you find yourself in. There's a way for you to be delivered from the mess that you're in. And it only comes by crying out to the One who delivers us from that mess because Jesus Himself cried out on the cross, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? You see, Jesus Christ was Himself forsaken so that you might be forgiven. Jesus Himself was cast out so that you might never be. So that you can learn that in the midst of everything that you go through in life, everything that God does toward you is mercy. So what we must do is, as Jacob is going to have to learn and it's going to take some time in Jacob's life, don't let it take so much time in your life. We all need to learn to yield and say, Lord, my life isn't my own. I can't live just for me. I must learn to yield. Learn to yield to Jesus Christ and say, not by the strength of my own hand and not by my own accomplishment, but only by grace and God's grace alone can I be forgiven and delivered out of the mess that I find myself in, whatever that mess looks like. But we are all in the mess of sin. And Jesus Christ is the only means of deliverance. And He indeed offers it to all who come to Him saying, Lord, it's not in me. It's only in You. Don't be deceived. But like Jacob, eventually learn to come and rest and trust in God's covenant grace and mercy. Life is a mess. And God's people oftentimes find themselves in that mess and delivers them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that even in the Scriptures You reveal to us especially the person and work of Jesus Christ. And it might be easy for us to assume that the name of Jesus, because it's not on these particular pages in this chapter is not present and yet Lord you are always with your people correcting them bringing them into discipline to reveal your love that they might be made more whole and more complete so Lord we pray for ourselves today that we might be a people under providence willing to take from your sovereign hand whatever you and your wisdom bring to us that we might be made more into the image of Jesus Christ Lord, we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.